Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. This is for sure the most vulnerable I have ever been on this podcast. In this episode, I talked to you all about my first trimester of pregnancy and how John and I conceived. I tell you about, wow, I a lot. I really tell you a lot. Uh, John got in this horrifying accident while in, in my first trimester. Uh, I bled for the first nine weeks of my pregnancy. I accidentally told my mother-in-law that I was pregnant. It's There's just so many crazy stories that happened in such a short period of time. I do share a couple different tools, like tips that worked for me. And for the most part, it's just my heart to yours. I hope I can hold you or inspire you wherever you are in your process. Maybe you'll just laugh along with me at some of these points or just, oh man, so much happened in in that first trimester. I hope it resonates with you. I hope you get what you need out of this episode. If you are moving through a big emotion, if you are looking to get pregnant, already pregnant, have been pregnant, not even in that lifespan at all, I do think you will still find a lot of nuggets of wisdom that may align with you as it relates to really shifting into your archetypal wise woman, your archetypal mothering energy, which my rite of passage was possibly a bit more tumultuous than some others. So thank you all so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Erin here. And I just want to start off this episode by just naming how I feel. I think I'm coming into this episode wanting to share about my pregnancy journey journey, and what life has felt like while growing a human being in my womb And also the imposter syndrome that comes up with that. Like, who is going to listen to this episode? Who will it benefit? I'm speaking from a place of storytelling. Other women sharing their stories about pregnancy and birth has been the most healing for me. So I am going to share from that place. I hope that I share some tools that may resonate with you, maybe inspire you, maybe you laugh with me, and also maybe you you take what resonates and you leave what doesn't really resonate. I, as I was grounding in, I just made myself a cacao. So I am in, I'm in the third trimester. By the time this episode comes out, I could have baby. I could also not have baby for another couple weeks. I'm in that fun limbo right now. So in my cacao, I have so many dates. There's a lot of research that in the third trimester, that if you eat six dates a day, starting at 36 weeks, it has increased It is associated with increased cervical ripening, reduced need for induction, less bleeding. There's just a lot of really wonderful research on it, less likely to need Pitocin during labor, and there's a lot of uh, interesting evidence-based research on this as well. 
And I also have my huge gallon of water filled with raspberry leaf tea and purified water, raspberry leaf tea as well. Is something that's highly, highly recommended in the third trimester to nourish and tone the uterus. So um, I got my raspberry leaf tea from frontierherb.com. I'm not an affiliate. I'm not associated to them in any way. But I'm just letting you know how I'm coming into this conversation. I have my cacao with five dates in it. It is very sweet, but I feel very productive once I finish it because I usually eat a date while I'm making it. So I get my six dates in. I'm still taking my prenatals. I have my huge water with a lot of raspberry leaf tea. There's also minerals inside. I went on my one hour walk today. I danced a little bit. That is something that's been really life altering healing for me. And it would be probably wild for me to share an episode and not talk about what's going on with the world. But I, I actually, Oh, I don't know if I want to go into it too much because the energy is so devastating. So um, extremely devastated by what is happening in Israel and Gaza, thinking about the hostages nonstop, thinking about the innocent in Gaza, uh, the innocent Palestinians nonstop, and just really taking time. I've allowed myself to get too devastated. And I think a lot of us have moved into that space as well. And I'll share with you what's been working for me. And this is just a, an update before I get into the bulk of what I plan to talk about in this episode. I trust that if I am not showing up on social media, and I have been, I feel as though I've been trying to educate as much as I can as an Israel educator and somebody that deeply studied the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with a, a deep connection to the land of Israel, and also completely aware of the Palestinian narrative. As I am a graduate of Columbia University, and a lot of my friends there were Palestinian, so I really hear their perspective as well. And I hold that in my ad advocacy as well. And I've just had these moments of, like I've, I have a 10 minute timer right now on my Instagram. I built my business off Instagram. It's it's a space where I, I do need to be present to share my work with the world, to connect with clients, to share Eastern ritual and Western psychology. It's, it's a place I need to regularly show up for my brand, for my business. It's also a creative outlet. And I, I can't really be on right now because it's too devastating. I accidentally open up social media and I see these terrifying anti-Semitic videos. My whole point in bringing this up is I trust that if I am not showing up or if I do not have the energy to show up, somebody else will. Somebody else who might even be more qualified than me. Somebody else who isn't about to have a baby is going to show up. And I trust that deeply and completely. So that's something that I'm relaxing into while also when I do have energy showing up in a way that feels in alignment for me. Because I have an innocent, perfect light in my womb that I don't want this baby to feel the devastation, to feel the stress. That's not good. I've had moments where I could literally feel the cortisol pumping through my body and had a moment where I actually thought I was going to go into early labor because of all of the stress. And that's not, that's not of highest good for anyone. So, um, 
sharing from a place of truth and authenticity in these last moments of pregnancy and connecting with you in rawness with an open heart on cacao, which really just bursts your heart open as well. And I'm excited to dive in and speak with all of you about first trimester and my current human experience. So thank you all so much for being here. And let me know that you're here. Like DM me on Instagram. Let me know that you're inter- that you're listening to this episode. Comment below on whatever platform you are using because I know this podcast is on every podcast platform. So please let me know that you're listening because especially I know people love based on the analytics, the solo episodes. So it's just fun for me to know And uh, I I like to know that you're there, that you're listening, that this is landing, that this is resonating, because this really comes from a place of trusting my intuition that I need to be more brave and I really need to step out there and share what is working with me because I know my experience is not that unique. So let's, let's dive in. When I met John, he was ready to be a dad. He has been wanting this so deeply for so long. Yes, we wanted to travel to certain places. Yes, we had all these other kind of like things that we wanted to do. I really wanted the book to be in amazing shape and out in the world before I had the baby. And before I got pregnant, I had some really specific, pretty life altering conversations with mentors in my life. Of course, I take what my mom says what my mother-in-law says, even what John's grandma says. I take the, what they share very seriously. And not that anyone really put pressure on us, but John and I have been married for a couple years and there was a lot of hope that we would get pregnant soon. And you feel that. And of course, people start making comments at some point. So John and I were very aware that people were, our family was incredibly interested in us getting pregnant. And I'm married to a man who I knew will be an incredible father. So it really just came down to me because I felt like business was in a really good place. I love the clients that I get to work with. I have a pretty grounded structure. I am still in my business a decent amount and probably could use a little bit more organization here and there. But for the most part, it's an extremely successful business that I can leave alone for long, long periods of time. So I had a really interesting conversation. If anybody listened to my episode, it came out about a year ago with Dr. Sheila Nazarian. And we were having a fascinating conversation. She is from the Netflix show Skin Decisions. She's a board certified plastic surgeon. She's also a huge advocate supporting um, supporting Israel, essentially, and uplifting Jewish voices and just speaking really accurately about what is happening in the Middle East. So I connected with her about a year ago. I had her on the podcast and we talked about really a lot of things between success, female entrepreneurship, business, Israel. And at the end of the call, we hang up and I usually like to chit chat for a little bit because it's a really fun time to connect to some of my guests. 
And I said to Sheila, I said, tell me about your success. How, how did you become so successful? And she essentially said to me, Aaron, the most important thing is that you have children. The success is fun. The success is interesting. The success is something I'm quite proud of. The most important thing ever is that you have children while you're young, like while you're decently young and have the energy to bring life into the world and just trust that all the business things are going to follow suit. And it rocked me. That comment really rocked me. And then a lot of synchronicity really followed that. So since that conversation, I just kept thinking about feminism, modern day feminism, and what that looked like for me. I think so often I was so interested in having an extremely profitable and abundant business and hustling, getting on big stages to speak on or increasing analytics for my Instagram, my podcast, my TikTok, my YouTube, like whatever the thing is. And then I also thought about feminine embodiment and what it really, what really feels good for me. And it feels really good for me to live a slower life. I love a slow coffee first thing in the morning. Not that I've had that in the last nine months, but a slow, warm drink in the morning. I love baking bread. I love making elaborate, beautiful meals. I love having a clean house. I love washing our all-clad pots and pans by the hand. I want my I want to be very involved with my kids. I I want to have children. And I kept meeting really interesting female entrepreneurs that were showing me roadmaps that John and I may align with. So especially moving to Austin, we really only moved here when I had that conversation with Dr. Sheila Nazarian. I We were only here a couple months, so we were still settling in, debating when was the right time to conceive. And I keep having these epiphanies of what modern day feminism really looks like for me. And I can, I think I should do a whole another episode on modern day feminism. But what I've realized is I think we've all got a little caught up. I'm, I'm not a man. I don't want to work like a man. I think John is so much happier when he has a lot of work to do. I like when I get to stay in comfy clothes all day, meet my girlfriends for brunch or a coffee, go on a really long love walk and talk to my mom or my Pamela or my sister on the phone. Like these are things that I love and I live for and I feel great joy in. And I like being a homemaker. I like also running a multiple six figure successful business. I want I know I'm going to be a best-selling author. So what does it look like to hold all of it, right? The successful, abundant entrepreneur and the homemaker, maybe even the one that is educating my kids in a uh, non-traditional school format. Maybe it means that I'm cooking a lot of our meals from scratch. And maybe it doesn't, right? So I'm having a lot of these thoughts around feminism and really looking at why, why were we waiting, right? John and I are obsessed with each other. We feel extremely grounded in our relationship and we are so aligned in every possible way. 
and we're good at different things and we see the world differently. And we kind of got to this point where we had a timeline and we just decided to move it up and like kind of move it up pretty a couple months earlier, which is kind of a big deal when you're talking about having kids. So John and I planned to go to Argentina and Uruguay in January, February. We were going to come home to Chicago in February. My sister was getting engaged. I was helping her fiance, Corey, plan this whole engagement. And we kind of thought that that would be our quote unquote last trip. But then we started trying. We thought, you know, what would be more fun is if we found out we were pregnant in Argentina slash Uruguay. So we started having sex when I thought I was ovulating. And that's a very important part of the story. I have followed Flow, which is a period tracking app. I think they gave me like a free coupon for it years and years ago, but it's, um, I, there's so many apps out there. I, this is the one that worked for me. I think I just got access to it early on. So I started tracking with flow and John and I would have sex the days leading up to ovulation. And I, and it was very fun. Like we, of course it's very fun. It's like you're beloved. So we were trying, we were in that process. I bought pregnancy tests, which is honestly my first time. Yeah. The first time in my life that I've bought a pregnancy test. I think after my parasite cleanse that I did in Costa Rica, November, 2021, I didn't get my period for a while just because it, it really rocked my body. And I might have taken a pregnancy test then, but um, I think that's the only other time. So it's such a wild thing to be an adult and to go to Target and to buy a pregnancy test with your husband. And like, it's just, a, it's, it was a fun experience. So John and I go to Buenos Aires. We are so happy. It's our favorite thing ever. We're loving Austin. We're feeling really grounded there. It felt like a really good decision to move to Austin. And we get to Buenos Aires and we're traveling around and doing our favorite thing, which is essentially drinking coffee in cafes, walking around, listening to music, exploring. We are happiest when we are exploring. And we start based on my app, my flow menstruation app. We start peeing on the, I start peeing on the pregnancy stick to see if I am pregnant. And this is the thing that is just, it's so, it's so sad and funny, but I wanted to record it. Right. I, I, on my Instagram, on my TikTok, there's all of these amazing videos of turning the pregnancy test over and seeing that it says pregnant and celebrating with your beloved. And I wanted that. I wanted that recorded. I wanted that piece of content. I wanted that special video to hold and love and keep. And we start. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's sad at this point. So we, I kept recording. So I would um, take a pregnancy test like every day when I thought it should say positive. And 
I have all of these videos of John and I in Argentina and Uruguay where I'm turning over the pregnancy test and it's it's negative. And we just look at each other like, what? what, how, what how, why is it negative? And, and we're sad and it's a sad video. And maybe I should publish those because they're quite funny. We did one on a nude beach in Uruguay. So you just like see are, I, I really wanted to take a test while we were there and I really had to pee. And John and I like ran into the bushes and I peed on the pregnancy test. I brought it back to our spot and I was so certain that it was going to be positive. So I really wanted to record it, but we were on a nude beach. So it's just like our little bopping heads. <laughs> and then I flipped the stick over and it's negative and we're baffled. We really, yeah, we were pretty baffled. So what ended up happening is I kept testing because I was so shocked. It just, it felt so near for both of us. And we get to Bariloche. So we, we were in Buenos Aires for a while. And then we went into Uruguay. It was amazing. Oh my God, it's truly amazing. Such a wonderful part of the world. We went in Jan Feb, so it's summertime there. It's beautiful. Since we've been there, the money is even more broken in Argentina. So it's so, it's devastating. It's horrible for the people in Argentina. And then as a an American to go travel there, it is so cheap. It is so affordable. So we go to Bariloche. We end up meeting up with my college roommate and her husband, which was so fun to travel with them. And our first night there, I ordered a salad. And that was kind of one of the nice things about Argentina is that you can order fruits and vegetables and salad and you don't get sick. And you're not supposed to drink the tap water there, but um, you can have sa- I, I was eating salad the whole time, so you can eat salad. So I ordered a salad. I was still, John and I were still regularly taking a pregnancy test a day just because I was in, uh, I, I didn't get my period yet. So I got a salad, I ate the salad, and then the next day I started feeling really sick, like really unwell. And what I think happened uh, again, I still took a pregnancy test. It was still negative. Um, and the days leading up to this, and I'll explain more on, on why I think this when I explain kind of how I found out I was pregnant. But essentially, I did start bleeding a little bit and I thought it was an implantation bleed just because it seemed so different than my period. And... I, so I started bleeding a little bit, a little bit. My pregnancy tests were still negative. I was, I got food poisoning. I was pretty sick, not feeling well. And I think somewhere along the way, my body was trying to get pregnant on some level. I think I started taking my pregnancy tests way too early. My body needed probably, I probably could have waited a whole week to start taking my pregnancy test. We were just quite eager. But then when I ate something and got food poisoning, my body might have just released it. So when I did finally start bleeding and it it now seemed more like a period, 
Upon further reflection, there is a part of me that thinks that it was maybe a chemical pregnancy slash miscarriage. That first time around, I think my body just was trying to maybe get pregnant. And then I ate something and got food poisoning and my system just flushed. So once that happened, there was there was a part of John and I that kind of uh, realized that we needed to self-assess. And I'll tell you what we did to self-assess. It ended up being really positive. We came, it ended up being fine, right? It was our first time trying. You're supposed to give it six months before you kind of do anything. We weren't telling anyone we were trying also or consciously conceiving. And we get back. We fly back to the States. We have my sister's engagement party and uh, engagement. And one thing I was really stressed out about is, do I tell my family right away if I was pregnant and I didn't want to take away the joy for my sister, for her engagement. So it ended up working out, right? She got all the attention. I wanted her to have all the attention. It ended up being quite positive. I had a glass of wine at her engagement party, not that John and I have been drinking a lot at all, then even because we knew we were trying to get pregnant soon, we really stopped drinking pretty radically. So being in Argentina and Uruguay, uh, in Argentina, they're known for Mendoza wine, which is really one of our favorite wines. And I think we got it maybe, I don't know, twice the whole time we were there. We were there for about two, two and a half weeks, three weeks maybe. So... It ended up all working out. I started taking my prenatals about three to four months before this, like even starting to try. So I felt like I had a lot of good nutrients in my system. We weren't really drinking. We eat a super high level farm to table diet. I was eating, trying to eat like a lot of liver, a lot of grass fed meat, a lot of eggs. I still eat a lot of eggs. They feel really, really good. And then when it came to... Like we weren't pregnant. I got my period. We got back to Austin after my sister's engagement and I bought ovulation strips really cheap on Amazon. I think it was like 10 bucks. And I started peeing on ovulation strips and I noticed that my app was completely wrong. So in my flow app, it would say that I ovulated on, I believe it said it was like day 14. And I really ovulated about almost a week after that. So I was a super late ovulator. And, or maybe it was, I don't remember exactly how many days after that. So I was a very late ovulator. And so when John and I started trying again, we really hit it this time. Like we really got it on the end of my follicular phase into my ovulation phase. When you are your most fertile, we had, a, um, it was a, a big intention of ours. So... It felt really good to know that I might have missed my ovulation the first time around. It might have been food poisoning. So for our second time around, knowing that we were hitting the mark, that felt really good. It just felt productive. And during this time, it was one of my girlfriends in Austin, her her birthday. And John and I go to this birthday party knowing that the next day is the first day that we can start again, taking a pregnancy test to see if it's positive. So we go to my girlfriend's birthday party. It's like a cosmic cowboy birthday party. 
uh, like 30 minutes in farmland outside of Austin. They have a petting zoo. There's fire dancers. We did a whole cacao mushroom ceremony, like all these fun things. And I pour myself a Makers on the Rocks. So everyone in my family knows this. Everybody on the Doppelt side, we drink whiskey on the rocks, Crown Royal on the rocks, Makers on the rocks. That That is our drink. We learned this from my grandma Barb. It is just, to me, it tastes, it tastes like family and happiness and it's so earthy. I love it. And I poured myself a very little amount. And again, I'm sure John and I even shared that drink. But I had a very real moment as somebody who doesn't drink a lot that this was probably going to be my last drink for a while. And of course, there's some a lot of research that says women can have a glass of wine or a cocktail in the second and third trimester during pregnancy. I just essentially had this drink and felt like this might be one of my last drinks for a very long time. John and I had a blast at this birthday party. So much fun. We're so happy to be in Austin. We feel like we have such an incredible community. I still feel like that. I feel really, really happy with our decision to shift out here for a, a little bit. And we end up leaving the party. We get home late and we go to bed and we wake up the next morning and we had brunch for, for my, my girl, for like a continuing party celebration for my girlfriend. We wake up the next morning and from that one drink, I was like pretty hungover, feeling a little, um, just like feeling, feeling, yeah, just feeling a little hungover. Hi everybody, Erin hopping in here. I just wanted to pause this episode and invite anybody listening that the Wise Woman podcast is now taking on sponsors for our next season, which is going to begin in early 2024. So if you have a brand, a product, an offering of some sort that you want us to advertise on the Wise Woman podcast, we have an extremely, extremely large reach and can connect to so many of your potential soulmate clients. So if you would like to sponsor and advertise on our podcast, please email us hello at erinrachel.pelt.com. That's hello at E-R-I-N-R-A-C-H-E-L-D-O-P-P-E-L-T.com. Let us know about what you would like us to advertise and we can start engaging in that conversation. Thank you so much. If we are in alignment, we would love to share your great offering, your great product, your great work with the world. Thank you so much. So again, according to my app, it says it's time to take a pregnancy test. And I'm so excited and I'm so certain that it's going to be positive. And I take out the pregnancy test. I really build it up. I was kind of wishing that I didn't feel so foggy in my head, but I take the pregnancy test and I wait and I turn it over and it says not pregnant. And I'm thinking, what? Like, how is this possible? And in addition to that, I started bleeding a little bit and I'm thinking, okay, this is either an implantation bleed, this is my period, I don't know because it was so weird last time. 
So John and I decide to not freak out and I'll just take another test the next day. And we go enjoy the Sunday. And then the, the next day, again, we wake up, we take a test and it's negative. I'm not pregnant and I'm, I'm bleeding and I'm thinking, oh my God, it's my period. I got my period. This, this didn't, you know, it didn't work. And at this point, I felt like I had to do something, right? It's been two tries. Again, for anybody who's listening, who is struggling with fertility or in that obstacle, I'm holding you in my heart. You're really not supposed to freak out until this happens for six months. And I just felt like all, I have so many friends. My first friend in Austin is a midwife. My best girlfriend is a fertility expert. Like all my friends are in this field. So I felt like I, I was really supported and I could confide in, in one of my girlfriends and kind of just talk it out. So I call my friend Steph. Um, if anybody is struggling with fertility, you can always DM me and I'll introduce you to Steph. She's Steph Adler Wellness on Instagram. Just say I sent you. And you know what's so funny is when Steph told me she was pregnant about four or five months earlier than that, I was so happy for her, but also shocked. Like, oh, this is what we're doing now. Like, this is this is the phase of life that we are in. We're getting pregnant. We're starting families. This is... She told me and I was so happy for her and also very, it was kind of a powerful point of reflection for me that this is something John and I should be getting on pretty soon. So I call Steph, John and I had a long drive out into the country. I forgot why we were heading out into the country. And I called Steph and I said, listen, I don't want a lot of people knowing this. John and I have been trying. We are, this is just the second time now that we got a negative result. I just got my period. And any insights that you can share would be really appreciated. And a lot of the things that she shared with me, I already knew, I was already doing, but I ended up buying a temperature tracker that you wear on your arm. And it kind of just shows you more closely what your temperature is so that you can track more closely when you're ovulating when you're not, when your period's going to come, etc. So I ended up investing in a temp drop, investing in that. And I mean, I told her everything about my diet. I wasn't really stressed out at that point. I like I re really kind of evaluated a lot of things. She recommended maybe doing a blood test, a hormone panel. So I was getting ready to kind of do all of these things. And at the same time, I put in my menstruation cup. I thought I had my period and moving on with life. I didn't want to talk about it with a lot of people because it's still, it's important to keep your dreams close and what you focus on expands. So almost sharing with people that this is something that John and I were working on and it didn't work. I didn't want that feeling state, that belief to expand. So the week ends up going by and I wake up one morning and I said to John, John, it's, it's worse than I thought. Like I barely even have my period. I must really be dysregulated. Maybe the food poisoning in Argentina really screwed up my system. Perhaps I need to detox. Maybe I need to do 
like a whole deep protocol to heal my gut, to heal my body, to prepare me, to prepare my womb to get pregnant. And John essentially said, okay, but before you freak out, just take one more pregnancy test. We haven't taken one in a couple days because I was so sure that I just had my period and that we missed that cycle. And it was like 7 a.m. It was early in the morning. And I take a pregnancy test. And it's the first time I took a pregnancy. Like, I didn't record it. I took a pregnancy test assuming that it was going to say negative because it's been saying negative so much, like so often. And... I end up looking at the pregnancy test and it says pregnant. And I gave myself one second, one second to embody this deep joy, one second to celebrate just with myself, one second to celebrate deeply and completely this next chapter in my life one second to feel exactly how I was feeling before I screamed for John because I was so shocked. I was so convinced that I was on my period because I was bleeding. It didn't work out, but it was it was pregnant. It was absolutely pregnant. It, it, it said it. I, it's an amazing thing when you take a test and it says what you wanted to say. And I yelled for John. He like jumps out of bed, runs into the bathroom. We're both in utter awe. We can't, we really couldn't believe it. We were so shocked and so deeply grateful and so excited. And (laughs) at the same time, I'm bleeding. So I didn't know, right? Like I didn't know. I thought you don't bleed. You get a positive pregnancy test, you skip your period, no blood. But I was still bleeding a little bit. And I end up calling my girlfriend again, Steph. She says she thinks it's implantation bleed, not to worry, it will probably go away over time. And it's just, it's so wild. Even a couple days before that, I took a pregnancy test and there was a super faint line and I just thought, that it got wet or something. Like I didn't believe it. It's just, it's so funny how our brain works when we're convinced of something. Thankfully, I do have a lot of friends in the industry, in the wellness industry, and a lot of them said, you know, it's typically implantation bleed. It's normal as of now. You have to stay calm and watch it. And I was just so nervous. I also called my, I, we started working with midwives at our uh, birthing center. And some of the midwives are really loving and compassionate and gentle and say, you know, not to worry. And then some of the other midwives say that it could be a cause for a miscarriage. And of course, right? It could, of course, it could be a cause for a miscarriage. You're, you're bleeding. And I started to really double my own devotion and talk to baby. And I said, baby, stay with me. Baby, we love you. Baby, we want you. Baby, we so deeply desire to create a beautiful life with you. Stay in my womb. I was also pretty nervous at this time that it would be an ectopic pregnancy where the egg implants in the fallopian tubes so we decided to get a, um, well, actually a lot of things happened before this. So maybe I should 
pause for a moment. We decided to plan an ultrasound a bit earlier than you normally would. However, during this time, and this is, this is, you know, you, you think you're stressed or you think something is going on. I was pretty upset that I was bleeding. Nobody knew we were pregnant. And I'll tell you how I told my mother-in-law. I'm going to tell you in chronological order. So it's just, I look back at this time in my life, which is March 20. 23, yeah, 2023. It was this year. It was March 2023. And I would have done it so radically different. It was South by Southwest. I was mentoring at the conference. I forced myself to go to so many of these events. John and I would come home absolutely. And I, I didn't even, the topics didn't even interest me. I just felt like I had a free ticket. I like this South by Southwest is kind of what really put me on the map in 2018 or I mean, helped me connect to bigger clients in 2018. Um, so I went to so many events. John and I would come home really exhausted. And one day after a, a really long day, John says to me, you need to tell our health share. So John and I are part of a health share called Crowd Health. All of my friends are now on it, but it's essentially... For healthy people, you help pay each other's bills. It's been really incredible for John and I. We've saved so much money. I have an affiliate code or like a coupon code, honestly, if anybody is interested in that. And John says, you need to tell Crowd Health that you are pregnant so that you can start your bleeding. You need to start seeing midwives. You need to start seeing your care providers. So I email Crowd Health that I have a pregnancy event and they email me back and they say, congratulations, Aaron Gordon, we're so happy for you. I go by my married name for these things. And John says, oh, and so they say, congratulations, Aaron Gordon, we're so happy for you. Here are some providers in Austin that you can work with. These are your options. This is what it looks like for crowdfunding, da, 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 da. And John says, amazing email that to me and I email my mother-in-law <laughs> and the thing that is so funny about it is I talked to John and I talked to his parents very we talked to our parents all the time regularly and we talked to his parents for kind of like a long time 30 to 45 minutes earlier that day and his mom was actually giving us a hard time for not being pregnant yet. She actually very rarely does this, but she actually made a comment about us not being pregnant when we were pregnant, but we just found out. We obviously weren't telling anyone. It's been like a couple of days that we knew. I think it was just a week. And I, I email my mother-in-law and... I get a face, I don't realize it, that I emailed her. But at 10 p.m. at night, I get a FaceTime from John's mom, Mindy. And that's weird. We just talked to them a couple hours earlier. I'm getting a FaceTime, it's 10 p.m., we're about to go to sleep. And I answer it concerned, right? And she says, Aaron, did you mean to send this to me? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, she starts reading the email, dear Aaron Gordon, congratulations on your pregnancy. Here are the providers that you can see in Austin, Texas. 
And I look at John and John goes into his email and he's like, oh my God, Aaron, you sent it to me and my mom. Because I think it, I, I fat fingered it. Like, I don't even know what to say. I, I sent it to both of them. I've never done anything like that before in my whole entire life. And I was like, what? Like, I was so sh- stunned and shocked. John and I had all these like really fun ways that we wanted to tell our family and we ended up just saying surprise like I'm pregnant uh we're not telling a lot of people because I'm I'm bleeding and we just want to be cautious we also just found out and they were it was obviously a very wild way for them to find out and here's how I always know that I'm being guided I felt pretty guilty that I took that experience away from John, that his parents found out via an accidental email that I sent. I felt really bad about that when we wanted to do a really fun thing for like uh, my father-in-law's birthday was coming up. So we thought maybe we could do something fun around that or we were going to be with them for Passover, maybe we could do something fun and exciting around that. So I felt really bad that they found out that way until I understood why they found out that day, that way. So obviously they're extremely happy and life goes on. They're the only ones that know and they promise they're not going to tell anyone. And John, a, a couple days, a week later, we're still, it's still in the thick of South by Southwest and it's expensive and a long wait to get an Uber. So John and I have been taking scooters everywhere. So you have to think of the scooter as like the Razor scooter, the one that you stand on that's motorized. They don't have helmets and we were taking them. Yeah, we were taking them everywhere. Like John ran the marathon a couple weeks before that. The whole city was kind of blocked up. And the only thing you could take was scooters. The same thing was kind of true during South by Southwest. So we scootered everywhere. And you hear about accidents all the time. It's a very common theme. But, you know, it it was accessible. So we scootered everywhere. And John ends up going to this event that was going to run really late into the evening. And I started to not feel good. I was starting to get into my sixth, seventh week of pregnancy. And I'm starting to feel really nauseous. I'm super averse to me. And it was just so new to me. And no, the only people that knew was my mother and father-in-law. And I really, we had a trip planned to Arizona to see my whole entire family. So I was going to see my whole family really soon and tell them. And I put a lot of pressure on myself during South by to do a lot of podcasts with certain guests or be present at a lot of the talks and like really enjoy the experience. And I was going through a really bad bout of insomnia, which is a common theme for me. And I'm starting to feel sick. I'm starting to feel nausea and the nausea that you experience in the first trimester is the feeling of being so hungry, starving. You are so hungry, but everything sounds disgusting. So absolutely terrifyingly disgusting. So you're constantly in this uh, duality of 
wanting to eat, but everything sounds terrible to you. So, I mean, and my savior foods during that time were cottage cheese. John and I have been gluten and dairy free for so long. We are so not anymore now, but I wasn't eating cottage cheese or yogurts. And I started with like coconut yogurt, but it wasn't enough protein. It wouldn't fill me up. And then I switched to goat milk, goat milk yogurt. And now I just have like full fat grass fed cow from local Texan cows yogurt. And I would need to eat in the middle of the night. I also would do meat sticks like chumps or um, Jasper meat sticks, which sounds absolutely nauseating to me right now. But it was something that if I could force myself to eat it, I would be okay for maybe an hour or two because it was a lot of protein. So I'm really starting to not feel good. My favorite foods sound disgusting. And John messages me that he's having a lot of fun at this event and he's going to stay out late, which is very uncommon. We are typically together all the time. I hate going to bed without him. I won't. I mean, that's, I don't, I won't. And I don't. Um, I, I like, I always hear from my friends how like they're like someone, their husband will, their partner will go out for the evening and they'll just go to bed and then their partner will join them in bed and they like don't even really wake up. I need to like feel John next to me. I really need him there to go to sleep at night. So I'm not feeling well. John's at this event. It's getting late and... I'm exhausted and I don't feel good and I get in bed and I try to put myself to sleep, which is something I've never done before, which is, yes, John travels a lot. It's different when he's traveling versus when I know that he's going to come home at some point. And I'm laying down and I'm not falling asleep and I don't exactly know where John is. I end up taking out my phone to like track him and I see that he's on his way home. We just started using Find My Friends like recently during that time too. So it was probably the first time that I've ever tracked him. I think we started doing it because he ran the marathon a couple weeks earlier and I could track him on his marathon route so that I could see him while he was running. And I see that he's on his way home and I'm really happy. So I get back in bed and then I hear the front door open and I hear it close And then I hear our guest shower running. And I say, baby, like John. And he says, yeah, one sec. And I'm thinking something's wrong. But I need to pause here because there's there's one part that I want to reiterate. Before John came home, I was watching episode two of Brene Brown's Courage to, like, Brene Brown's Courage Over Comfort, whatever her Netflix, is it Netflix or is it HBO? She has a a TV show where she dives into bravery and courage. And the second episode is all about, uh, she talks a lot about how worrying doesn't prevent something from happening. And I was feeling worried that night. I was, there's something very chemical about getting pregnant, and then having a fear for your partner. I've heard this from a lot of women. I would have this just fear that John, that something would happen to John Uh, or my, not so much myself, but that something would happen to John during this time. And I think it's, 
like very chemical in our brain. It's very primal. And I'm listening to Brene Brown and she's talking about how worrying doesn't help. It essentially increases anxiety, but it doesn't do anything, right? It's not going to prevent something from happening. And I had the actual thought of, I'm not going to worry about him. I can't worry about him. This isn't good for me. And it just, it's so serendipitous. It's wild that that was the thought that I had. So I end up sitting up in bed. John still hasn't come into our bedroom. And I'm worried. I know something. I can feel it. Something's wrong. And finally, he walks into the door into our bedroom. And he says, Aaron, I'm so sorry. Something happened. And I, you know, this is my love. This is my beloved. This is the king of my heart. And I yelled at him and I said, your pregnant wife is at home. You should have been home earlier. Like, what do you mean something happened? What is going on? And then I turn on the lights or John turns on the lights and his face is split open and he's bleeding down the front of his face and his nose is smushed and his forehead is like tearing, has like a huge tear in it. And I gasp, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, like holy shit, something really horrible has happened. And he says, I made a really stupid decision because we've been scootering nonstop during all of South by and right before at the marathon, a couple weeks before during the marathon, I thought I could scooter home and he hit a bump and he smashed his face. And the thing that's so crazy about this story, John, because of just how bad traffic has been, John left his car at work. This has never happened before ever. This is a one-time thing that has ever happened, ever, ever, ever. And I have to call an Uber to take us to the hospital. And even in John's state, he was pretty adamant about going to a very specific urgent care facility. But I knew that there was a hospital closer to us downtown and I wasn't gonna wait a second if John's brain is bleeding out through his nose or like, this is my life. My He's my life. I'm not going to waste a second to get to a further urgent care facility. We get to the hospital and it's downtown Austin. And they thankfully check us in early. They are, they get us in pretty quickly. And I'll just give you like a little, I'm, uh, I'm in, I'm like wearing a sweatshirt over a pajama shirt. I threw on leggings. I'm feeling really you're like running on adrenaline. So it's like, I'm feeling sick, but I'm hyper aware. I'm very alert. And, oh, this is, this is such a wild thing. For dinner, nothing sounded good besides pineapple. So for dinner, I had kiwis and pineapple. And I kept running to the bathroom at this hospital because I think the adrenaline plus like eating fruit for dinner like flushed my whole entire system and I'm still bleeding so all these things are happening within my body the light of my life is in 
pain slash shock and feeling really guilty for putting me through this. And, and it's so crazy. And we're in a hospital in downtown Austin and they keep bringing in people in, um, I mean, it's really sad, but they keep bringing in people in handcuffs that are like withdrawing, going through withdrawal of heroin or some other really intense drug. And you can just, we get admitted into our room, but you hear these other patients just screaming and calling for help and going through this, this deep drug withdrawal. And John and I are just in the room next door. And it, it's very, it was very scary. And it, you know what was so interesting is I would say to the nurses, I said to one of the nurses, are we safe? And she actually laughed at me and said, huh, I think so. And I'm like, what? How about you just tell me if, just say yes, right? Just tell me if you think that. Because she, everyone there loved their job. I was in the middle of the night, all the doctors and nurses, they kept talking about how much they loved their job because it was so exciting all the time. We found out that John was the third person in the hospital that night from a scooter accident. And they end up, we, we were, ended up being there for about seven hours, which was pretty painful, six or seven hours. And they stitch up John's forehead. They do an MRI to see if his jaw was broken. And they make sure that there's no brain bleeding, which wasn't something that was really truly on my radar. Thankfully, he is okay. Hours and hours and hours go by. There was really only one physician seeing all of the patients, so we waited a really long time. I ended up asking one of the nurses to bring me any food that they had because I was starving and really not feeling well. They brought me crackers, those little wafer, not wafer, like the butter crackers that you get at the hospital. And the ingredients are corn syrup and sugar and just not, not it wasn't real, right? A cracker could just be flour and salt. It wasn't real food. So I kind of, I, I mean, I didn't eat it. I just felt like that would do more harm than good. So during this time, they end up taking John for an MRI. And I had this moment where they're wheeling him away in his hospital gown in a hospital bed and I'm sitting there in the room by myself and as the nurse is rolling him away I said to him that's my life right there like that is the most important person in the world to me please take care of him and they close their like yeah 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 you know it's just another day at work for them so I sit back in the hospital room by myself it's the middle of the night. I'm not going to call my parents and devastate them about everything that's happening. Plus, I also didn't know everything at this point. So I think it's always better to collect all the data and then tell your family about it. So I'm sitting in this hospital room by myself. I'm bleeding. I'm nauseous. I don't know what's going on with my husband. It's very nerve wracking. I'm extremely stressed. And I just re remembered I was pregnant. Like, I remembered I was pregnant and I was holding a being in my womb. And I said, baby, 
you have to help, like you have to be with me through this. You have to be in this with me. This is, I don't want you to feel how I'm feeling. I'm so sorry to put you through this and we're going to get through it together. So I started really stepping into this mom version of myself, the archetypal mother. And that was a really major shift for me. I'm devastated that this is happening, that this was my current reality. And John has never make, John doesn't make bad decisions. This was such a fluke. However, it really encouraged me to step into this version of myself that I have yet to be, which is the archetypal mother. Oh man, it's so crazy to talk about it because I just relive it completely and deeply and I can feel it in my body. (laughs) Anyways, they bring John back and he is, uh, he broke his nose in three places. That's what they tell us. They broke his nose in three places. I call an Uber, we get home. You know, John looks very scary. His whole face is scratched up. He still has a pretty, two pretty big scars from it. And he just really needed to go to bed. He felt like he'd be much better if he could go to bed. At the hospital, they didn't really clean him up that much. Also, there was still a lot of blood and saggy skin all over his face. The doctor wanted me to confirm if some of his forehead skin was completely split for stitches or if it was just smushed and a hole. And like, this is my beautiful, perfect, godly husband. And you're telling me that I need to confirm if his skin is connected or separate, if I'm looking at his skull. It, it was wild. It was crazy. I I don't know. I'm like, I'm just seeing blood coming out of the love of my life's forehead. Just fix it. You're freaking out. We get home. Uh, we go to bed. Neither of us sleep. We're so, I'm totally traumatized. John's in a state of shock. I'm nervous because I'm still bleeding. I feel like absolute shit. I get out of bed and I ate like a kettle chip. I didn't even know what to eat because everything is so disgusting to me at that point. And I get in the place where, and I know this is such a common feeling state for so many of us, where I needed my mom. Like I needed, there's a feeling... There's no word for it in the English language. There's There's no word for it in any language. But it's the feeling of wanting to go back in. I don't know if any of you have experienced that before, but the way that I imagine it is when life is so overwhelming, so intense, so devastating, if you will, that you you want to go you want to go back into your mother's womb. And that's how I felt. So John ends up falling asleep. I get out of bed and I call my parents. They still don't know that I'm pregnant, which is so hard for me because I'm extremely attached, very attached to them, especially my mom. And I tell them what happened. And it brings me back to all the times where I've called them first thing in the morning after a night of devastation. It brings me back to college after I got mugged. It brings me back to like all all these times where I've had to whisper and call my parents and and just like need them it's so crazy to think about so I tell them everything that happened and they're so grateful that John's okay and they're on standby if we need anything and I just felt better talking to them 
John woke up. He was so, he was hungry and he needed to bathe. So just to kind of, he needed to get some of his blood off of his face that was like caked into his mustache and his beard, my beautiful hairy husband. And then this is where the blessing lies. I asked, I was felt so bad that I emailed John's parents that, and that's how I, I ruined it. The surprise that we were pregnant. And obviously, thank God I did that because when we called them to tell them what happened, they knew how bad it was because I was pregnant and we probably needed help. So, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Like these, these things that we call accidental have a purpose. I felt so bad that I accidentally emailed my mother-in-law, but then she knew that she probably needed to come down and take care of us. So the next day, John and I, keep in mind, I'm still hoping to see my family in Arizona in a couple of days, but you can't fly with a broken nose. So we went to the ENT. John was getting scheduled for surgery. He broke his nose in three places. He also fractured his skull. And there's nothing you can do when you fracture your skull. My husband's beautiful nose saved his brain. And I mean, it's, yeah, you just, you can't, you can't make this shit up. So he gets scheduled for surgery. I find out that I'm missing Arizona, the trip where I had this like grandiose plan to tell my family that I'm pregnant and celebrate all together and be with my brother and my sister and their significs and my niece and my parents and this whole romantic fairy tale that I had. So John feels bad that he ruined that for me. I feel bad that I emailed his mother-in-law, my, my mother-in-law. It's just all these different layers to it. And I call my, my mother-in-law, Mindy, ends up coming out. She was going to come take care of us for about five or six days. And then I end up FaceTiming my family, telling them that I'm pregnant and that I need my mom to come out as well. So, of course, they're very happy. They were very shocked. My parents thought that we were going to wait a couple more months. I told them not, you know, I was still bleeding, so I was quite nervous about that. So my mother-in-law comes out for a while and then my mom comes out. During this time, John gets a, a nose surgery and I'm still bleeding. We're just like asking for help from our family. This actually helped deepen a lot of my relationships here in Austin as well because, you know, we really have only been here for five months during that point in time. So I just, I reached out to kind of our new friends and I was just very honest and said, Hey, we're going through a pretty crazy time. Can you bring us lunch? Like, can you make us dinner? And I think that's an important lesson for a lot of people. We're so afraid to ask for help. When I asked for help, it allowed these relationships to truly deepen in that same space there was, it, it does give you a lot of insight. Like I remember, uh, it's not, not a friend anymore, but I asked this one friend for help and she came over and talked about herself the whole time. And yeah, we're not friends anymore, but I, and it wasn't even because of that. I just remember being thinking, oh my God, I'm so not well. I really need support. 
I need somebody to take care of. I need someone to take care of us. That's the feeling. That's what kept coming through. I need help. I need somebody to take care of us. I need to feel emotionally regulated. And I regulate by, I guess, talking about the experience or somebody asking me, how are you? So it, I think it's very interesting when you ask for help and how people respond and if those re- relationships deepen or not. So during this time, it was really nice to be John and I and my mother-in-law, and it was really nice to be John and I and my mom. We ended up getting a ultrasound, a very early ultrasound. So you typically wouldn't get uh, ultrasound until about the eight-week mark. And I got one at about seven weeks and six days. And... Oh man, I went in with my mom and John. John has splints up his nose. His face is wrapped up. They gave him a shot of, not the not my midwives, the ENT, gave him a shot of steroids. So a lot of the swelling went away, which I was so grateful for because this is my beautiful, amazing, gorgeous husband. And his eyes were so swollen, he couldn't even put contacts in. It's, I don't want... I don't want this for him. And also I have to look at him all day and I get re I get I get re-traumatized almost. So he healed really quickly. And John eats super well, like pretty high, a lot of liver, high quality uh, animal-based diet. And he bought beef tallow for his scar and it's healing really beautifully. And you know, John just finished a marathon, so he was in a, like the best shape of his life. Oh, wow. So he healed quite quickly. So when I went to my birthing center to get my first ultrasound to make sure everything was okay, we got one of the midwives that I didn't really resonate with. We ended up switching since then, but it was a midwife that I just felt was, she was just pretty, I'm sure she was, I'm sure she's amazing when it comes to the actual work that she needs to do, like labor and delivery. But she wasn't very compassionate and I came in pretty nervous. My mom was extremely nervous and John was, John was great. He was kind of back to normal at this point. It was like a week and a half later uh, or two weeks later. And she basically said that it was, she made it seem like the way John and I took it made it seem like everything would likely be okay. The way my mom interpreted it is that there might not be a heartbeat. So we went into the ultrasound very nervous and everybody reacted in like their own way, but I knew everything was fine. I did. I knew baby and I were good. I knew we were together. I knew there was going to be a strong heartbeat. I, I was convinced. I had really strong conviction. So when the practitioner did the ultrasound and there was a super strong Hashem, thank God, heartbeat. We all, it was so, in, it was so intense that, you know, my mom is crying. She had a, a very big, a very big reaction. And John, like, I didn't really react because I knew baby was fine. And they told me that I had a, a subchorionic, subchorionic hemorrhage. They oftentimes also diagnose it as a chorionic hematoma. 
So statistically, I mean, if you Google this, it will say that it, it occurs in 3% of pregnancies. My midwife said it actually occurs in much more than that. But essentially, the pregnancy creates a blood pocket and it heals on its own. So I was extremely happy to receive that news. They printed out pictures of baby. They gave us our due date. And it, yeah, it was really amazing news. But keep in mind, I'm still extremely nauseous. So baby's good. John's good. My mom was there. She's like taking us to dinner <laughs> and I'm trying to eat. Like I was able to eat pasta one night. I sometimes would crave a salad so I could do like a salad, but it was never enough. My body always demanded a lot more food and oh God, it's, it's just... Oh, I wish I could tell all of you if you're on this journey. I wish I could say take this supplement and you won't feel the nausea. It's just how it's designed. It's of all of my friends, I have one friend, I think actually two friends that experienced no, like just tired in the first trimester. But I'm telling you my my healthiest friends, my friends that have the most pristine diets, they take all the supplements they still feel this extreme nausea. I wish I could tell you uh, to just supplement with magnesium. I already took so much magnesium or like a million other things, but I, <laughs> I, I don't have the answer. You have to just keep eating. You have to stay ahead of it. And I just feel so grateful for my business that I was able to show up in a way that felt in alignment for me, slow down some themes in my business and schedule my launches in a different way. That felt really nourishing for me. I like extreme gratitude for, for my business at that point in time. So this is, I just want you all to keep in mind, everything that I just shared with you happened in March, 2023. This is in like a, a three week span. And maybe a four or of course, Argentina and Uruguay was earlier in 2023, but all of this like climactic, crazy stuff that happened so close together. And it was a really powerful way to just sit with myself and see who am I when everything around me is chaos, including how I'm feeling is chaos how how am i how do i survive this like how do i move through this and what i kind of what kind of worked for me is one we have to slow down as a society we have to be able to pause and think what is like when we slow down we're going to make different decisions if John just paused for one moment, he would have booked an Uber and not scootered. If I allowed myself to pause and rest, my nausea would subside. It was like when I was forcing myself. Actually, there's there's two sides to that. If I was forcing myself to do something I didn't want to do, I would feel worse. But whenever I had coaching calls or I met with my clients, I always felt so much better because I was so in it and so present that I would forget about how sick I felt. 
in that same space, I, we weren't telling people I was pregnant because I was still bleeding. Uh, and and uh, like, that's another thing that I think is so interesting. Even if you have a miscarriage, wouldn't you want your family's support? Wouldn't you want your community's support? So I just find it interesting about when we tell people, how we tell people, et cetera. But it was just something that we were keeping kind of closer to the heart in the beginning. So when people don't know that you're pregnant, you kind of, act, you embody that. Like you act like everything's kind of normal. And another big lesson is you need your family. You need your community. So it takes a village to raise a baby. It takes a village to also produce, support, encourage a mother. And I really leaned into that and brought in a lot of pretty sacred relationships into my life and deep in relationships in my life that provided a lot of courage and compassion to John and I during this super wild time in our life. So all of this is all of this is happening. We're ready way I wanted there were so many other things I wanted to talk about on this podcast. Um and we're honestly just at I'll just kind of sum it up a little bit about telling how we kind of told people. So <laughs> John and I decide to go home for Pesach, uh, a Jewish holiday. And I'm so excited to go home. We ended up going home for about a week and a half. And John's mom made me this chicken soup that I swear healed me. I would drink it first thing in the morning. And I think it just had so much protein in it that it's Jewish penicillin, right? It just had so much protein in it that I would get ahead of the nausea. So that's the one tip I have when it comes to nausea. Cottage cheese saved me. It still does. Like I'm kind of, now that I'm in the third tri, at the end of the third trimester, hopefully, I kind of need to eat right before bed or in the middle of the nights. Not often. I really hate getting out of bed in the middle of the night. Uh, cottage cheese has still been a really powerful superfood for me. Seriously, just full fat cottage cheese from uh, ideally grass fed, pasture raised, organic cows, whatever you can find that just fills me up. It was something I could always get down. Now I second trimester and third trimester, I feel significantly better. So we go home for Passover and I'm extremely emotional. I was bleeding until week nine. I stopped bleeding after week nine and I had a pretty big last bleed where I would typically bleed when I, like after a bowel movement, when you're kind of pushing a little bit or just wiping after peeing, I would sometimes bleed. It was so... It's just not what you want to see when you're trying to keep your pregnancy. So when I came home for Passover, my mom was hosting the Seder and I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I knew I was going to see all my aunts and my cousins. And this is the thing that I, I think is so funny. I started showing right away. I've talked to some of my girlfriends that didn't start showing until like month three, four, or five, I looked pregnant immediately. I, the second I had a positive pregnancy test, I had, I was, I was bloated. I had a tummy. I had a pooch immediately. So I think it's just so, I think we take on water. So I ended up wearing a onesie and I looked 
pregnant. I was nine weeks and I looked pregnant. I'm serious. My aunt walks through the door and I can share this story because I'm very close with all my aunts. However, this was traumatizing for me. I say this lovingly because I am close with my aunts. My, I walk through, my aunt walks through the door. She immediately looks at my stomach and she says to my dad, what is she pregnant? And I just start crying and I like run to John and I, I mean, it's just, it's just so uh, like my, my big Jewish family and I'm very emotional just because I, I kind of, I didn't really want to tell people right away, but I felt like I had to because I was home. I didn't know when I would be home in Chicago again. And uh, oh my God. And then, you know, my cousin kind of gives, you know, my cousin definitely knows right away. I told my best friend earlier that day, her and her family, my Pamela or her and her family are, um, I say her name because if you listen to the podcast, you know that I, I talk about my Pamela a lot. And <laughs> my whole family is there. We, I'm like crying, holding John. I'm like so anxious. And I kind of decided that I would feel less anxious if I just told everyone. And so we do the blessing over the candles, welcoming in the Hagim, welcoming in the holidays. And <laughs> I, I have this on video too. So I, I should probably, I could probably share it. I'll, I'll, I should share it. It's a pretty funny video because John's recording it. So we, the women share the blessing over the candles. And then I say, I want to share with all of you. And there, there were a couple side conversations. So I like, I interrupted a couple conversations and I said, I wanted to share with all of you that I'm pregnant. And I was during the prayers, when you light the candles for a Jewish holiday, you are bringing in the light. And I was so emotional. I was like standing up there crying. I think my sister could feel it. She like had her arm around me. And I was crying because I was just so anxious. It wasn't, I wish I could say I was so excited to share this joyful news, but I was only nine weeks pregnant. I was still bleeding. I was quite nervous. John and I just had this like pretty tumultuous experience. I probably would have preferred to keep this closer to the chest longer, but I just knew I wouldn't have fun being home, keeping the secret that maybe if I shared, I could receive wisdom and insights that if I shared, everyone else would buy into the belief that I had a healthy pregnancy and that was going to be of highest good for, for everyone. That was going to be of highest good for all. So I'm crying during the prayers. I think my sister's the only one that really notices. And after we light the candles, I tell everyone that I'm pregnant. And my other aunt goes, you must be 12 weeks then if you're sharing this with us. And I said, no, actually, I'm only nine weeks and I've been bleeding, but I wanted to share. And I, I like get interrupted by gasps of, ah, you're only nine weeks and you're telling us? It's just such a bubby micey. It's so, ah, just between all of my aunts, all the family, all the emotions, and then I start saying how I don't feel well. And my other aunt says, oh, your generation, like you're such wusses. And it's just like all of these things are happening. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why am I sharing this? Why am I sharing this news? My mom and my sister come to my defense, like pretty aggressively. 
And it's just a wild moment. I'm extremely emotional. I, I like, I think I excused myself to like cry just because I felt so vulnerable and uncomfortable. And I kind of didn't think it would be like that, but also everyone just arrived. It was all these different emotions that I was feeling. And we sit down and the way that for this holiday, for the Seder, Typically, we like to sit down and glasses of wine are already poured so we could kind of do the blessing over the wine. And I sit down and then my other aunt says, there's wine in front of you. You can't have wine and makes this like whole big thing about taking the wine away. And then I'm just sitting there and I want to disappear. It's like such a it's so it's so I could just replay the scene in my head. My aunts love me so much. They're really incredible, lively people. That's why I can share from a, a place of humor and laughter. Uh, the Seder ends up, and then I ended up being grateful that I told everyone because once everyone kind of calmed down a little bit, once I calmed down a little bit, people shared a lot of blessings. We're really sweet. We're sharing in the joy. We're really excited for me and, and, and just like really offering good well wishes. But I just think we build up telling people in our heads and think that we're going to get these like really lovely reactions. But everyone's kind of bringing their own experience to the table. I don't like it's always it's always going to look different for every single person. And because I'm so in tune with my family, including my cousins and my aunts, like my extended family, I I know they're so excited for me and their big emotions and their feedback is how they they show love. So it was a really intense moment. My whole family knew. And a lot of you may have seen the viral video of John telling mama, John and I telling mama Abby. We ended up telling John's grandparents by giving them a picture of the ultrasound. If you haven't seen it, you have to go to my Instagram and TikTok and look for it or message me and I'll point you to the right direction. It's the most amazing, beautiful video of John's mama, Abby, who has been waiting forever for us to get pregnant. She, it takes her a while to open up this gift. We had something that we got in Ireland for John's Papa Larry that we forgot to give, that we've kind of found and we forgot to give to him. And we have the ultrasound packaged up in the bottom of the gift bag and mama abby takes it out and she just screams like the most joyous exuberant exciting laughter clapping just the greatest emotion ever and that kind of made it all really good and healing for me the second night of pesach was with john's family and we told all of john's family and they of course were really excited for all of us as well we told John's twin sister, which was really fun. Telling people ended up being really fun. And of course, everyone brings their big emotions to the table as well. So for me, this all happened in the first nine weeks of being pregnant. Going home was really healing for me just because I, I was eating home-cooked food that I didn't have to cook or John didn't have to cook. Like if John cooked in our apartment, it, the smell you know, our living room is like connected to the kitchen. It's like the smell would just drive me crazy. But in my parents' house or his parents' house, it's like more divided. 
so they could cook for me. I could eat it. And I just felt so much better. And as long as I was at nine weeks, as long as I was staying ahead of it and eating more, like it's kind of as much as I could, honestly, then I could stay ahead of the nausea. For me, everything really changed by week 13. Once I got to week 13, I was better. Like I was fine. They say that's when the placenta starts feeding the baby. So you don't need to work so hard to just feed the baby. The placenta is going to take on more of the work. And then by week 16, I was back to myself. I was back to like pretty normal uh, energy levels, feeling really good. Because kind of in the first trimester, you're a little bit depressed. Like you're a little sad because you feel so sick and like nothing, nothing works. It's so wild. And you have to let yourself just rest. And if you don't let yourself rest, that's going to just lead to feeling anxious. So I was really happy to hit that 16-week mark. So nine weeks was pretty life-altering for me. Then week 13, you feel significantly better. And then like you're kind of back to par by week 16. I gave up caffeine, which was something that I drank consistently for the last decade. I feel pretty good right now off of caffeine completely. So something I think was a a good detox for my body. Okay, I I wanted to also talk about second and third trimester. I think that's going to be a need to be a different episode because this is a long one. I share from a place of if you are planning on getting pregnant, if you have have uh had babies, I share from a place of storytelling that I totally I love hearing people's stories about what their journey was and what resonated with them. And this is my story that I find to be, holds all the emotions, right? It's it's such a metaphor for our current human experience. It's such a metaphor that as you create life, you are also still moving through like very big emotions in our day in and day out. <sighs> I think a lot of these experiences really allowed me to step into my archetypal mother where I need to definitely honor a little bit of cord cutting or (sighs) the right word would probably be just a healthy emotional distance from, from the expectations of family around you. Because John and I definitely are choosing a more holistic path to bringing this baby into the world and just being very mindful of that along the way. And in that same space, your family is the most important thing. I needed my family. I desperately needed my mom. I needed help. And I th- that's so important. You have to be able to ask for help and to invite it in when it's there and to feel safe in that help as well. So thank you all so much for hanging out and listening. Please let me know if you listen to this episode. This is probably, this is definitely the most vulnerable I've ever been on the Wise Woman podcast. Uh, If you love it, I will definitely be sharing more. So please comment below. Please leave a comment and let me know if you, you resonated with it, what your pregnancy experience was as well. 
I always love hearing stories from all of you. Any questions you have for me, I'm going to start doing more Q&A podcasts as well. So you can always email hello at erinrachel.pelt.com. Any questions you have for me, hello at E-R-I-N-R-A-C-H-E-L-D-O-P-P-E-L-T.com. Hello at that. And you can send a voice note or ask a question, just leave your name and a detailed question, and I'm happy to create an episode and respond to your question. All right, I have uh, a couple parts to this podcast. I'm really happy to share it with all of you. Thank you all so much for being here. I will keep you posted on labor. I'll probably try to squeeze in another episode about second and third trimester. We went on this amazing baby moon throughout Europe. Third trimester has been, I'm finally diving into that nesting phase, which feels really good. Have the best day. Feel good. DM me if I can support you in any way at Aaron R. Doppelt. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Wise Woman Podcast. Thanks for being here.